I'm only kidding, don't worry. We are, we are in Psalm 127 today. We are in a summer series entitled Songs for the Journey. We're going through Psalms 120 to 134, and these Psalms are entitled uh, Songs of Ascents. And they were songs that were sung by God's people in the Old Testament as they journeyed to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the, the focal point of the fulfillment of God's promises. It's the place of God's presence, the place of God's people. And so uh, as they journeyed from their, wherever they lived within Israel or beyond, uh, these are songs that they would sing. And these songs would remind them about the Lord. They, it, these songs would remind them about life in the Lord. These songs would remind them about the blessing of Jerusalem. And you may ask, well, how do they relate to us? Because as New Testament believers, we, we don't go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't function in the way it did in the Old Testament. And if we read the Scriptures, we'll understand that actually there is a new Jerusalem the Lord is building and making. He, upon Christ's return, will establish this new Jerusalem, this place of God's people and God's presence. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth. And we as believers are journeying to that place as well. We are on a journey ourselves. We are on a journey in life. And we face many of the same things that the, the psalmists face in these psalms. And so these psalms instruct us and they inspire us on the journey. They teach us about how to live life on a journey. And they really address the, the whole spectrum of life. So we're going to look at Psalm 127 today. And this particular psalm is a... Uh, wisdom psalm. And, and what that means is it's a psalm that teaches us about the way of wisdom, the way of God. Often wisdom psalms also speak of the foolish way of living, and this psalm does address that as well. Uh, it gives us practical guidance how to live life. It, it really explains what the life of the believer is like. And, and this certainly would be relevant for the believer on a journey to be reminded about life because the reality is on the journey we forget we forget how to live in the Lord. And our lives are often um, described by what we'll see in this psalm. This psalm is God's very word to us. And I believe that it's God's very word for us today. For all of us, and for some of us in, in very particular ways, God's going to speak to us through His Word. He's going to remind us of truth. And He Himself is going to call us. So as we come to His Word, let's come with that perspective. Lord, we want to hear from You. I want You to forget that I'm here ultimately. I want You to hear from God. So to that end, let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that these are Your very words. And that, Lord, You, you love to speak to us and how we need to hear You. Lord, these, this psalm not only spoke to the people... Uh, 2,000 or more years ago, but you still speak. Your Word is living and active. So I ask you, Lord, to speak to your precious people today. Speak to those who know you. Speak to those who don't, do not yet know you as King and Savior. Speak to us and change our lives and be magnified. Thank you, Lord, for your blood and righteousness that we're forgiven in Christ. And we can come to you by grace. And so we look to you today. And we look forward to how you'll speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 127. A 
Song of Ascents of Solomon. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 127, 1 through 5. This psalm is probably familiar to many of us. It's a favorite, I think, of many. And it's certainly a psalm that we need to stop and ponder and listen to as 21st century American Christians. We live in a very busy and even at times at least it seems this way, chaotic world. Now, for centuries, people lived in villages. They would live in relatively small villages, and you would, in that village, probably know everybody, see the same people every day, do the same tasks, more or less, every day, likely be related to many of the people in your village, and and, and experience a life that was fairly simple and slow. Now, I don't mean to say people were lazy and didn't do much. They, They worked hard. They didn't have the the conveniences we have. But life was simpler and slower and and different than what we know. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know that kind of the the Tolkien has the picture of Hobbiton, the the ideal village. And and really, for, for many people, for centuries, that's what life was like. But it's not our culture. It's not our life. It's not what we face. We we live in something very different than that. We live in the information age, the post-industrial age, the post-modern age. It's, it's entirely different. Things have changed. We often don't know whether we're coming or going. We see thousands of people every day as we drive and as we go about our business, and probably most of them we have never, ever seen before. We drive miles and miles to go to work or to shop or, go to, or to go to school. We have to filter through billions and billions of bits and bytes of information that fly past us day by day, moment by moment on the Internet. We work long hours. The 40-hour-a-week job is is really no longer considered the standard. It's almost part-time. Only 57% of Americans take all their vacation days. Soccer moms speed to and fro, taking their children to activities and watching their sporting events. Children spend twice the amount of time in sports and activities than their parents did. Twice the amount of time. We go, go, go because America runs on Duncan. (laughs) And I wonder what history will have to say about our culture over time. How will they look at us? How will they evaluate us? Now, we can't speak... For that, but we can look at how the Lord would comment on our culture. And I believe Psalm 127 is a wonderful way to hear God's voice and to, to serve as a mirror to us in our lives, to speak to us in our culture. I'll give you the bottom line of what I think the psalm teaches and then we'll, we'll dig into it. 
I believe that this, this psalm teaches us that we live in vain unless we live resting in God. We live in vain. We live in vain unless we live resting in God. So what we'll do over the next 30 minutes or so, 40 minutes, is dig into this. We'll talk about living in vain. We'll talk about resting in God. Before I do that, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about this psalm as a poem. Um, These psalms are poetic. They are songs. And just like our songs are poetic, so are these. They're translated into English, and it's really hard to translate poems into another language because you can no longer match the things that would be in the normal poem. So these are wonderful poems, and this is a, a, a wonderful example of Hebrew poetry. And there are things that go on in this that, that are helpful in terms of the poem in understanding the emphasis given to certain aspects of this. Now, we can catch it in English, but if we can dive a little bit into Hebrew, sometimes it helps us to see. Um, so I just want to do that briefly to help you see some things here. But just to give you a little bit of background on Hebrew poetry, we're used to, in, in English poetry, things, uh, vowels being repeated, vowel sounds, rhyming. That's called assonance when you rhyme vowels. So, so you guys know like simple Simon met a pieman going to the fair. says simple Simon to the pieman, let me taste your ware. So that you hear the, the vowels resonating. There's a meter there as well. But Hebrew poetry is a little different. It doesn't do that as much. It, it tends to repeat consonants. And that's called consonants. Um, and we have it in some English poetry. Uh, if you like Poe, Poe can be dark sometimes, but uh, he has a line in the, from the raven, and the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain. You hear, the, hear the consonants reverberating through that? That's another way to make, to make rhyme. And I'm, by the way, I'm not endorsing Poe from the pulpit here. It's just he's, a, he's a fantastic poet, very dark. Um, anyhow, in this psalm, the, 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 uh, and in mu- much of Hebrew poetry, that's how they rhyme. That's how they do poetry. They repeat consonants. And, and so I'll just give you a little sample. I'm a, I'm a beginning Hebrew reader and um, certainly speaker as well. My son corrected my Hebrew this morning. Um, in verse 1b, it says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And that's pretty straightforward. But listen to it in Hebrew. Listen to the, the consonants that goes on. In Hebrew, it says, Im Yahweh lo yishmor ir shah shakad shomir. Say that again. Im Yahweh lo ishmor ir sha shakad shomir. So there's that badum 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 with those sounds, all right? And and it's basically saying if the, if uh, if the Lord does not watch over the city, in vain the watchers watch, all right? So there's this emphasis on on vanity for the watchers who watch uh, in the poem. So you don't need to know Hebrew to know that. I, I, uh, for a pastor, it's good if you can know it so you can guide your people. And really what I want you to see today are the connections that are made through the poetry. And I'm just going to give you some of those connections so you don't have to dig into Hebrew to know that. There's a number of things in this psalm that are connected. And if you looked at the psalm in English, it, it, it might be confusing to think, well, wh- what's going on? It doesn't seem real connected. We've got this, these first two verses and then these last three, and how are they connected? Well, in Hebrew... Uh, the word for build, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, and the word for house in Hebrew, and the word for children or sons in Hebrew, all are very close, are the same. So, so we have this connection between the second half of the psalm and the first half. Building a house, and then sons, 
or that's children, translate children. The word is literally sons. And those are almost spelled the same. They sound very much the same. So hold on to that connection. As we go through it, you'll see. Also, uh, you see it in English. The word vain resonates to that. It's one word in Hebrew. It's that word, uh, that word shah. And, it, and it, it really resonates as you read through in Hebrew. Vanity, vanity, vanity. So in the first part of the psalm, you get the idea that this psalm, this first these first verses or two are about vanity. It's in vain. It's in vain to live this way. It's in vain. There's some other connections as well. The, the word warrior and man in this particular psalm um, are almost spelled the same. So there's a connection there. You can see it in English. Uh, and there may be a connection as well between, and a contrast between vanity and sleep. So that first part, it's in vain, in vain, in vain. And then it says, for the Lord grants to his beloved sleep. A contrast. There's vanity, vanity, then there's the blessing of sleep from the Lord. Now, without spending more time on Hebrew poetry, let's dig into that. I just want to see uh, you to see those connections so you can appreciate this psalm and what it teaches us. So the first half of the psalm speaks to us about living in vain. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. In vain we rise up early and stay up late eating the bread of anxious toil. These, these activities are the activities of common life. Building the house. And, and the implication here is not just actually constructing your house, putting up the two-by-fours, that certainly addresses that, but it really means building anything. In life, you're, one of the chief endeavors we have as, as those made in God's image is to build things. We build things. We, we build homes. We build families. We build churches. We build things. We construct things. And, and so this psalm is addressing this basic exercise of life of building. It's addressing that basic exercise of life of trying to keep things safe and secure, watching, keeping things, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So, so building is a fundamental aspect of life. Keeping things safe and secure is a basic uh, exercise of life. And then the, the final thing, in, in vain we rise up early and stay up late, eating the bread of anxious toil. So, so eating bread and earning money for bread is a basic exercise in life. So this psalm is addressing really the, 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 the common things of life. Uh, it's addressing these common things of life, building and keeping and earning a living. And it's not, by the way, telling us not to do these things. That's not what it's saying. Uh, don't hear what the psalm is not saying. It's not saying, don't do this. Don't build. Don't watch. Don't earn a living. That's not at all what it's saying. It's just addressing how you build and how you watch and how you earn a living. These, these basic things are things we're all called to. And if, in reading the rest of Scripture, uh, it's a gift from God to do these things. And it's how we walk out our relationship with the Lord. Uh, sometimes we think walking with the Lord means doing grandiose things. Going and, and you know, um, I don't know, going to another nation and proclaiming Christ. That's wonderful. Or, or doing some fantastic thing. Becoming President of the United States. That's how, what I need to do to really serve the Lord. Scripture, uh, most of the ways we are called to serve the Lord are in the regular, everyday activities. Building a family, building a business, building a church, watching over your family, watching over others, earning a living. This is where we walk these things out. And this psalm 
uh, instructs us in how to do it. It's about how to live this way, how we spend our lives, and avoiding doing it in vain. The implication here is that we can actually do life in such a way that it's all in vain. That's the warning here. We can do these normal things of life, building, watching, earning a living, and it can be all in vain. That's a scary thought. And we all need to consider that, that that our efforts can be all in vain. A very scary thought. You could be involved in some of the most wonderful work imaginable, some of the most acclaimed work that anyone could think of. Uh, uh, One thing I I like, uh, I guess as an engineer and a guy, is... uh, is construction stuff, and I uh, just thought of one project that's going on that's pretty fantastic. Jim Brown told me about it. I researched a little bit. Uh, does anyone know about the, uh, the Fast 14 project on the 93 bridges in Medford area? They're building 14 bridges uh, over, basically over the summer. They're doing a bridge a weekend. Normally bridges can take years. They're doing a bridge a weekend. They start at 6 p.m. on Friday. They're done by, I think, 5 a.m. on Monday morning. And they're building these bridges. You can get online and see it, Department of Transportation. Uh, Fourteen bridges, a bridge a weekend. That's fantastic. And if I could do two jobs, I'd love to be involved in a project like that and pastoring, you know, just cool stuff. Significant work. But the psalm says, unless the Lord builds the bridge, the laborers build in vain. If the Lord doesn't bless their endeavors, then it's in vain. It can be in vain. And, and that vanity may come out in all sorts of ways. We don't know. One, one may, way, God forbid, uh, we can pray God's blessing on the building of those bridges, but one way could be that the bridges fail. They do all 14, and then an inspector finds out in October, none of these meet code. That could happen. And it has happened, hasn't it? Things like that. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And not only is it true for them, but it's true for you and your occupations as well. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. It is not sufficient to merely work hard and well on a project. That's what the psalm is teaching us. It's not sufficient to merely work hard and well on a project. That's not sufficient. We need the Lord to bless and use our efforts. We need to be dependent on the Lord. That's what Psalm 127 teaches us. So whether it's building bridges or building families, we need God's blessing. Otherwise, it's in vain. And the vanity can be a loss of product. That's one of the things. It can be that the bridges collapse. God forbid. The bridges fail code. Or the family falls apart. It can be loss of product over the long haul, but also there's a, there's a vanity that can come, uh, loss of product in the short term, there's a vanity that can come over the long haul too, as Scripture speaks of. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 13 says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging symbol. I am in doing it in vain. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. It is in vain. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The long-term gain for these glorious undertakings, without love, without doing it in the Lord is in vain. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7. He says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a warning from the Lord. We can work hard. We can do things that are even in in many ways good things. But if it's not in the Lord, if it's not under His blessing, it's in vain. We can run and run and run and go and go and go and put in a 60 or a 70 hour a week or drive our kids to all the best activities, go to all the best schools, do all the best sports, go to the best church, but unless the Lord blesses it, it is in vain. Empty. False. Psalm 127 calls us to recognize this possibility and the inescapable reality that we need the Lord. We need the Lord desperately in all that we do. Do you recognize this truth? Do you live in this truth? Are you aware of the futility of your efforts apart from the blessing of God? Are you aware of your desperate need for God's grace in order to accomplish Anything? Does a constant active dependence on God characterize your life as you go about your business? Are you aware of your need for God? You might be working very hard, and that's a good thing done rightly. But is there an awareness in that, God, I need you. We need you. If you don't help here, it's going to be in vain. We need you at every moment. I don't want to rely on on what I think are my skill sets, my own abilities. I don't ever want to presume on that. I need you. And for those of us who are serving this week in the VBS, what a key truth for us, isn't it? We can work hard. We can have all the best decorations. We can have all the best planning. And and really, I think we've had fantastic planning, fantastic decorations, fantastic organization. But if the Lord does not build the house, it's in vain. So as we go about the things this week with VBS and and our outreaches, if the Lord is not with us, it's in vain. So let us be actively dependent on Him, crying out to Him moment by moment. Lord, we need You. We need Your blessing. Help us. Do you recognize that in what you do? When you seek to keep your children safe and your life secure, do you know that only God grants true safety and security? Or are you running here and there like, like Chicken Little, trying to make everything work, trying to keep everybody safe? The sky is falling and not looking to the Lord, who alone gives us safety and security. Unless the Lord is with us, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord keeps us, it is in vain. We need this truth. We need to live in it day by day, week by week, and throughout our lifetime. Now, there's wonderful promise in this section of Scripture as well. As the psalmist talks about this reality and and, and reminds us of the vanity of life without him, he says in verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So it's in vain that you work hard. It's in vain that you work a 60-hour-plus week or an 80-hour week running around thinking that your mere activity will accomplish something. It's in vain. And then he says this wonderful promise at the end of verse 2, this perspective that really changes everything for us as we approach our work, as we approach our normal tasks of life. He says, 
poor he gives to his beloved sleep. For he gives to his beloved sleep. God grants sleep. God grants rest. And really, thinking about that and and thinking about what the psalm's doing, what it's speaking about, I think the, the inference from that is that He is the one that calls us to work. Our work is not our work. Work is a gift from God. He calls us to. He made us to work indeed, but we need Him. He tells us when to work and He tells us when to rest. He is the one who grants us rest. And if we don't live in that, then we are ignoring the reality that He is Lord. He is the one who gives me this job. He is the one who gives me this activity. He is the one who calls me to it. And when it's time to work, I work. And when it's time to rest, I rest because I'm not the boss. He is. He grants rest. God is not a workaholic. God rests. And so must you. To rest, to receive the gift of sleep, to receive the gift of rest is worship of God. It's acknowledgement that He is the one who is Lord. He is the one who's made you. He is the one who's called you to work. And He's the one who calls you to rest. He gives to His beloved sleep. So stop running around crazy and rest when it's time to rest. Sleep when it's time to sleep. Ultimately, that short phrase is fulfilled in Christ. He has given us the ultimate rest in Christ. And this truth is really important for us to, I think, to walk out the reality that He gives to His beloved sleep. To walk out the reality of walking in our busyness, perhaps as the Lord would call us to be active, while still resting. This truth, I believe, is key to help us understand that we live in vain unless we live resting in God. How do we understand how to live resting in God in all things? This key truth that He gives us rest in Christ is essential for walking this out. You see, Christ came and did the work that we failed to do. The ultimate work that God calls men to do, mankind, men and women, children, to do is to love them with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. To work with all our heart, soul, mind and strength at all that we're called to do with the right attitude, right away, all the way, in a happy way. To do everything, to love others to love the Lord completely and faithfully, even when it's difficult, to obey His commandments as an expression of that. We are called to do that and to do it perfectly. That's, that's only right and good because He is all glorious and all loving and all worthy. But we have all fallen short and no amount of frenetic activity on your part will ever make up for the fact that you and I have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot please God. We cannot earn heaven but he's given his son and his son did the work his son did not fail his son did not displease him his son obeyed to the point of death on the cross in his obedience and love for the father and then the wondrous thing in his death on the cross is this perfect life of good works and righteousness and obedience. This perfect life of fulfilling everything the Father desired, the Son offered up for your sake on the cross. 
He offered up his life to pay for your failure and to satisfy God's righteous requirements for you. And when Jesus was on that cross, as he bore your sin and paid the just penalty for your sin, the wages of sin is death, to, to, be, to be disciplined, to be punished, to, be, to receive the wrath of God, the holy wrath of God, and be separate from, from him forever, is the wages of sin. The Son received that on himself. He bore that on himself. And as he bore that, and as he paid for it completely, and as he satisfied the Father with his perfect, righteous life, he said, It is finished. The work is finished. Your work is finished. You can never please the Father anywhere near how the Son has pleased the Father. He's done the work. He completed the work. And so now as you do your work, you're not seeking to earn the Father's approval, the Father's forgiveness. You come at work entirely different. You come at work in a sense how a retiree with a really good life savings would approach his retirement. Jesus finished the work, paid for your sins, rose again from the grave, is now with the Father reigning, and we belong to Him. We're united to Him through faith. Uh, As we turn from our sins and trust Him, we're in union with Him. And if you're not yet a believer, I encourage you to receive this amazing gift. Turn from your sins. Turn from your self-effort. Turn from your work that ultimately is in vain without Christ. Turn from it and trust in the One who worked and earned so you could be forgiven and received, received by the Lord. And when we receive that, when we belong to Him, we're united with Him, and, and, and the work is finished. It's done. And we approach work like a retiree with a great retirement plan. We don't have to do it to earn favor from God. We get to do it. We get to do the things we do. And so as we rest in Jesus, as we rest in what He has done, we can work resting in Him. It changes our attitude. I hope that makes sense. It's so important. It's so important for us to understand this truth, how Christ fulfilled this, this statement in Psalm 127, for He gives to His beloved sleep. If you belong to Him, you're His beloved, and He gives you sleep. He's given you that ultimately in Christ, and He will give you, he will give you aspects, reflections of that throughout life. He'll give you sleep times to sleep at night. He'll give you vacation, Sabbath, these different things. He's the one who grants this rest. We can live in this rest. We need not run around in vain, but can work in Him. Totally transformed by the rest He's given us. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 is one of many verses that instructs us on this attitude, this new attitude of living in the Lord. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. When you work a job, you are to work heartily. How? For the Lord and not for men. You're serving the Lord, the one who's given you rest, the one through whom you are forgiven and saved and led. So as you work and as you do the things you're called to do, you can rest 
You can serve Him. You can rest knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. It won't be in vain as you do it in the Lord. There's a reward guaranteed in Colossians 3. You are serving the Lord Christ. And that should change our perspective on work. It should allow us to rest. It should allow us to be wise in how we apportion our weeks. As we're able to find time to rest, to recreate, to be with family, friends, to be with church. Psalm 127 teaches us about living in this rest. So how are you doing in this area? How many hours per week do you work? Does your work week reflect the truth that God grants rest, grants sleep to those He loves? Are you taking your vacation time? If not, why not? You need to have a good reason not to take your vacation based on Psalm 127. I'm not trying to tell you how to do it. I'm just asking the question. If you're not taking your vacation, explain in light of Psalm 127, why not? If you are working too many hours, why? How does that line up with Psalm 127? Are you taking your work home with you? Now I understand that that this is a temptation for all of us. But Psalm 127 says he grants to his beloved sleep, rest. So when I come home, I should be able to turn the key off, get out of the car, and leave it behind. Because he gave me that job, and that was to be a joy while I do it. I'm to work hard. And now that I'm home, it's time to rest. It's time to be at home. It's time to be with family. It's time to rest in the Lord. Are you making time on Sundays or Saturdays to rest? Or are you filling up your week with all sorts of activity, be it your regular work or chores around the house? Are you resting? Are you resting in the Lord? Are you enjoying the rest that He gives? Ultimately, our Sabbath is in Christ. He's fulfilled that. We, we don't live under strict uh, Sabbath rules. But let us not ignore the principle that He gives us rest. And we need rest. Are you resting? Can you worship the Lord by resting? If you are not, if you are not, let me just say clearly, you are living contrary to the Gospel. Because the Gospel speaks to you of the rest you have in Christ. And so you are to approach work and rest from a different perspective. And if you are working hard as a workaholic, if you're working hard, uh, worried and so forth, you're living contrary to the gospel. Now, I want you to hear that, and I want you to be shocked by it, but I want you to know there's help. There's encouragement. There's grace in the gospel. Meditate on the rest you have in Christ. Learn to live in that. Learn to live by that statement that He said, It is finished. It is finished, and we can rest in His work. And we can approach things differently. We needn't worry and overwork. Let us live in light of Psalm 127. The latter part of the psalm, the psalmist is addressing family. And he's addressing ways that God blesses us. So this verse, uh, end of verse 2, he gives to his beloved sleep. It's not only sleep that he gives, he gives family as well. And this, this is related because one of the key things we do build in life and we do seek to watch over and we earn our bread for is for family. And what the psalmist is saying is that the Lord also is the one who's behind the blessing of family. And so we are to, to live life looking to Him, 
receiving his blessing, living in it. And so this wonderful second part of the psalm says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gates. God grants children. God grants families. He's gracious to give us families. He's gracious to give us children. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward uh, from the Lord. He's the one who gives sons and daughters. And they're to be received as God's blessing on our lives. God is at work. If you have children in your family, He's blessed you with children. Now, now He determines how to do that. I know for some of us, there's difficulties we face in having children. But ultimately, God is the one who blesses and blesses families with children, whether natural or adopted, or, or and He's sovereign over when He refrains from that. But He is the one who blesses this way. He is the one who grants us children and grants us families. He is gracious and faithful. And this psalm says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. If you were to be a warrior, and remember warrior, and, uh, and, and actually the children of one's youth, or when it says blesses the man, it's the same word as warrior. Warrior, uh, arrows in the hands of a warrior. If you're a warrior, you need uh, arrows, right? I mean, you, otherwise you're, you're in trouble. And uh, if you're going to really fight a war, you need a whole bunch of arrows. And if you have a, a whole quiver full of excellent arrows, you can do a lot as a warrior. And so he's comparing the warrior with many arrows to the man who has a quiver full of children. And this would apply to both boys and girls. I, I think there's an emphasis on boys here as well and some of the roles that boys serve in particular. We'll get into that. But he's saying you're blessed by God. He's blessed you with children. He's the one who's blessing your life. You're to live your life aware of His blessing, of His provision, of His enabling to build a family, which is a great blessing. And so the psalm talks about this. It it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And then he shall not, later it says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The psalm's saying that, that blessed are you as you have lots of children in your youth Because when you get older and you face difficult situations, you're going to have your children there with you to help you, to defend you. When you face the enemies in the gate, it's likely not not that you're at the gate shooting at people, but that you're in the gate was where the elders would sit. When When there were judicial cases or just decisions, civic decisions to be made, they would be made by the elders who sat at the gate of the city. That's where they assembled. So if you ever got into difficulty in life, if someone sued you, or you had some difficulty, you would go and before the elders. And so what this psalm is saying is that when you face these difficulties, in particular it's, it's talking of the, the difficulties of, of maybe being sued, you're going to have these children to back you up, to support you, to help you. You're not going to be alone and helpless. So it has application certainly to, to the judicial side, but I think we can understand that it's not only to face the enemies of, of accusers in court, but also the enemies of things like poverty and loneliness in your old age. This, is, this psalm is speaking of God's common and usual means of providing for parents. Some points to understand here and that to reflect on. We live in a culture, and this isn't necessarily wrong, but it, it can be. We live in a culture 
that says basically what you need to do as, as a, a retired person is to build up your life savings to the point where you can be independently wealthy when you retire so you don't need anybody's help. And I think that's wonderful if you can do that. But Psalm 127, these verses aren't teaching that. They're saying, if you want to be helped when you're old, build up a family when you're young. And then those children are to take care of you when you're old. That's the biblical retirement plan. Not to say don't save your money. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, We are to save our money, and I could give a message on that. So we're not going there. But one of the key ways that you do your retirement plan is your children. That's the biblical pattern. And by the way, that's the common historical pattern. Much of the world today, that's how they understand retirement. When you get too old to work, your children take care of you. So guys, yeah, that's right. That's right. All, the, all the 50 plus ones are like, yeah, preach it. That's right. But 50 plus or 30 plus, you are responsible to take care of your aging parents, not their retirement plan. You are. God blessed them with you. And I know there's exceptions, so again, I, I don't want to kill this point with a thousand qualifications. There's exceptions, and God's sovereign over that. We can talk if you have questions. I'd love to. But normally, the way it's going to work is you are responsible to take care of your parents. They were blessed with you, so you can care for them. They shouldn't be dependent on their retirement merely, but they should know that you're there for them. I think it, you know, just thinking through my own life, I know if we needed to, we would want to say, you can come live with us. We'll take care of you. You took care of me, Mom, when I was a kid. I didn't have any worry. You fed me. You clothed me. You provided housing for me. And it was doable. We can turn around and do it for you. Not hard to do that. We can make room. That's what we're to do. And for those who have aging parents, it's something to meditate on and think about. For children, guys, you need to grow up understanding this. And we as parents need to teach our children, guys, you are our chief retirement plan. Now, don't let us get away and be lazy and not save anything, but you are to be the ones that come and help us. Now, that's a far distance from our culture. And I'm, and I'm kind of throwing these things out there, and I know there's a lot of thinking through it, and it's hard, but, but I just want to make the point, and I'd love to talk with you more about it. But I think we need to understand that's part of what Psalm 127 is teaching us. This blessing of God for us as we live our lives, as we build, as we keep, as we earn a living. This blessing of God comes from God. We're to live in that blessing. And families are part of that. This is a way that, we, uh, that God's blessing is to function in our lives through family in this way. The band could come up as we close. Psalm 127 is a wonderful psalm. It warns us about avoiding the life of vanity, of trying to do the basic functions of life, of building and watching and earning a living without the Lord. It calls us to look to Him, to be desperate for Him, to depend on Him, and to understand that He is a gracious God. And He grants to His beloved sleep, most of all fulfilled in what He has done in providing Christ for us, but also places of rest for us. And we're to live life in light of that. And we're to raise our families in light of the blessing God gives us through our families to provide for us. God is good and gracious. We live in vain unless we live resting in God. May the Lord teach us 
how to live life resting in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. You are so gracious. And God, I'm so foolish. We are. We forget about Your graciousness. We forget about the Gospel. We forget about Jesus who said it is finished. We forget about the provision of Your grace. We forget about Your kindness and Your faithfulness in the past. And Lord, so often I am like chicken little myself. Forgive me for that. Forgive us. And I pray as we approach this week, some of us in BBS, would You protect us from running here and there in vain. We cry out to You to help us remember Your grace. Remember the rest You provide. Help us to rest well. To worship You in that. Transform us by the wonderful truth of Psalm 127 and be magnified through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.